Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. We're doing a slow walk through the book of James um, and just taking chunks at a time. Um, This week we'll be going through verse 18. And so um, I'm going to read the first couple of verses and then we're just going to take it in chunks. Can we do that? James chapter 1, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt Anyone, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. And then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, this is a theology-packed little paragraph. And James is dealing with two primary things here um, in, this, in these three verses. He's dealing with the origin of temptation and the cycle, the life cycle of sin. Um, where does temptation come from? This is really what James is trying to get at to the early church. Where is it that temptation derives from? The Jews, the early Jews actually developed this, this doctrine of Yetzer Hatob and Yetzer Hara. It was this idea that there is this good tendency and this evil tendency inside each and every single one of us. That every one of us is capable of great good and great amounts of evil. Which is why we have people who can develop skyscrapers and buildings and vehicles um, and machines to pick up your corn and separate your cotton. And we also have those same people building atom bombs and machine guns and weapons to decimate communities. Right? Great good, great evil. And so this was kind of a common idea, and the early Jews described this as um, Yetzer Hatob and Yetzer Hara, but they didn't tell where these things came from. Like, where do these tendencies start from? In our culture, we, we have a really handy saying, though, the devil made me do it. I don't know if you've heard anybody execute the devil made me do it line lately. Um, it's trash, uh, but... We tend to use it in a moment where we've just committed a sin instead of accepting personal responsibility. What we do is we just play the decision off on the devil. That devil, he's coming to get me. The devil made me do it, right? Now, that sounds really comical. Even today, if somebody says that in your normal conversation, you ought to squint at them a little bit, you know, and get a little further away. But... Underneath all of that is a rational thought process that we need to address. We're we're, we're actually addressing where temptation comes from. and, And whether or not we would say something crazy like that, a lot of us actually think that. That the devil actually does make me do it. That it is just the work of the enemy who's making me do things in my own day-to-day life. But here's the thing. If I can answer that question, then we can address where the real battle is being waged in the decisions that I'm making and how I'm facing temptation. William Barclay writes in his commentary on James that some of the early Jewish writers ascribed 
all temptation to the devil or even to fallen angels. Their idea was that every time you and I sin or fail or succumb to temptation, that it was 100% the result of the devil, right? They were just saying the devil did make you do it. But even early rabbis took an, an even more misleading and dangerous path, and they argued that since God created everything, he must have also created this evil tendency inside of you. Dangerous, right? This is what Paul calls the flesh nature or the sin nature. And so the theory of some early rabbis that fed into what James is addressing was that God made you do it. It wasn't the devil after all. God created this sinful tendency. And this is exactly what James is getting at. Because evidently in the early church, as people are coming to this new faith in Christ, they were still wrestling with how to understand temptation and sin, and they were adopting this old view that it was, in fact, from God. Now, this is really important for every single one of us because all of us sin and have fallen short of God's glory, right? And it's important that we understand where temptation and sin come from so that we can address them. Now, here's the problem with blaming sin and temptation on God. When we blame God, we're actually accusing him that he's acting outside of his nature. Right? Like some of the attributes that we discover about God, if you spend any time in the scriptures and learning who he is by his spirit, is that God is love and he is light. In him there is no darkness at all. First John says both of those. That he is the source of all goodness and that he is eternally holy and merciful. All of these are divine attributes about God that were always true of him in the past, will always be true of him in the present and in the future. They never shift or change. And so when we go through a season of temptation and quickly point a finger and say, well, God must just be teaching me something. Are you with me? Like we've been talking about testing and trials. Well, God's just teaching me something. God is not in the business of tempting you. And, and James kind of levels the guns at us and says, hey, that is outside of, it is contrary to the very nature of God. Now, for some of you, maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, and this goes without saying. But for some of you, perhaps you are new to faith, and you are in this place where you lean on a spectrum of the devil made me do it, or perhaps God is forcing me into a position to test me so that I can just be better. You will never be in a circumstance of testing of temptation where you're being lured by sinful activity and it come from the Lord. Are you with me? You can 100% of the time have a clear view that that is not from God. James says that is not who he is or how he goes about things. And what, like how grateful am I that the God that I serve who could do toward me whatever he wants will never tempt me. Are you with me? Now, this is a, a radical thing. And in the time, James is having to address it. He is saying that is inconsistent with who God is and how he is toward us. But what is he like? Jesus actually teaches his disciples, when you pray, pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What is God like? God is the one who you can go to in any circumstance or situation with the temptation or the testing that you're facing, and he will deliver you. He says later on, if you will resist the enemy, he will flee. 
right? Like my role is to simply resist and to call on God to bring deliverance because God is a deliverer. And maybe today you don't know the character of this God that we're worshiping on Sunday morning. Like the reason that we ought to worship in a way that peels the timbers back off the building and breaks the floors is that God delivers us. Right? The God of all creation sees you and he knows you. He calls you by name and he's intimately engaged with the deliverance of your life from everything that tempts you and tries you. He deserves my highest praise. Not just because it's what we say on a Sunday morning. He, he really is worthy of everything I've got. Are you with me? God cannot be tempted, nor does God tempt. He delivers. But on the other end of the spectrum... The answer is also not, the devil made me do it. Can we just touch on that for a second? The enemy can tempt us, but he can only tempt us according to the evil desires that are at work in us. Now, that deserves its own kind of like message. We don't have time to sit on it today. Um, But even then, what does James say about our temptation? Some of you today, you're in very real circumstances where you're facing temptation. I don't want to just skip over this as though that's not real. Some of you are going to go home to an environment where there are temptations. There's an open thing in your heart that is latched onto an external thing that draws you toward sin, toward moving away from the Lord. And you need to hear that that is not from the Lord. And James is saying, primarily, not from the enemy. Now, this is really important for us. If we're going to grow into maturity and resilience as Christ followers, we have to recognize that one of the largest wars we will face is the war for our own souls and ourselves. And James says right here that the primary concern in verse 14, that each person is tempted when they are dragged away and enticed by their own evil desires. By your own evil desires. In other words, I made me do it. Not the devil made me do it. Not God made me do it. I, I did it. Right? Or in the words of the prophetess Taylor Swift, I'm the problem. It's me. Right? Okay. Just seeing if you're still with me. But we don't like that, do we? I don't like the idea that the, that the place that I'm in, the circumstance that I'm facing, is often the result or the fruit of the temptation and decision that I made. I like the idea that someone else is to blame. Because then I can just continue to do this. Ah, it's him. It was her. And, and this is really like how we are hardwired. Our tendency from the beginning has been to blame shift when it comes to sin and temptation. In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve cave to sin and God comes to them and says, guys, what are we doing? And Adam simply says, don't look at me. Look at Eve. She tempted me. And God looks to Eve and Eve says, don't look at me. Look at the serpent. He tempted me. I'm wondering, like, in the cartoon version, the serpent's just going like, you know, who do I blame, right? Every single one of us, we look around to blame shift and to move the blame of the situation we're in to the devil or to God or to our neighbor or to that guy at work. And James says, it's time to look in the mirror. That the, the, the locus of our temptation is us. One of the greatest ways to move from a life that feels out of control, maybe some of you feel that this morning, where everyone else is against you and everything else is the problem, is to start taking ownership of yourself and the role that you are playing in your own temptation. 
Everybody all right? Okay. James says it's our desires that are dragging us away and enticing us. Now, I want us to listen to that language. If you have read through James, you read it quick, right? Like you're used to it. But listen to the language. He says our evil desires are like ravenous predators that are dragging us away into the darkness to entice us. That's what my desires, unhinged from God, do. In Genesis, the ravenous predator is outside of us. In James, the ravenous predator is inside of us. Are you with me? He's saying we have to be wary. we got to be vigilant about the things that are warring against our souls inside of us. It's like God tells Cain in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, if you don't do what's right, uh, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, can we just be honest this morning that for some of us, we are toying with temptation and sin is crouching at our doors and it wants to kill you. It doesn't want to toy with you. It doesn't want to tease you. It's not just hinting something. It really is coming to murder you. And we need to be clear about this. Temptation is not a cub. It is a grizzly. That little thing that seems... um, um, like too small to even talk about. It's not a kitten, it's a tiger. Uh, when, when Lily got a phone, baby, what did I tell you? This, this thing is a, it's a panther, right? And I remember her looking at me like that, and I was like, no, I need you to understand. It's sweet, but it'll kill you. It's a panther. It, it's, not, it's not a kitten, it's not that sweet little new kitten next door uh, in the tribe of feral cats that live beside my house. Lord, it is a tiger. And here's the thing. We get really used to tigers, and we treat them like they're kittens. But they're not kittens. It's not a cub. It is a grizzly. And for many of us, we have gotten so accustomed to certain things in our lives that we treat it like it's not going to kill us, and it will. And James is saying, look At the trajectory, remember last week, like wisdom says, get up higher, slow down, and look farther. And here is the gift of seeing temptation for what it is, that I can look far enough to see what that thing becomes in maturity and how it consumes and kills me if I don't put an end to it. God can free you and forgive you and save you and redeem you, and you can still be getting consumed by stuff in your day-to-day life because you're not um, overcoming temptation. Are you with me? Yes, yes, yes. That's how we can like stay in church with people who are fully saved. And I, I, you know, I really believe like are going to be with the Lord one day, but it seems that they are just consumed and eaten up by the temptations and the sins that they will not overcome. Do you want to be mature in your faith? Do you want to just walk in a circle for the rest of your life with the same issues? Good God, kill us all now. You know what I mean? Like don't, Sorry, is it too crass? <laughs> you ever had that moment where you're struggling with the same junk over and over and over and you're miserable? You know what I'm talking about? And your prayer, my prayer in those moments has been, Lord, just take me now. Just cleanse me and then take me. Because I don't want to keep doing this same old thing over and over and over. 
We have to learn how to battle the predators that we've been feeding in our own souls. Right? Now, here's the good news. The war for this, the war for your salvation and for your identity in Christ, it was won at the cross once and for all. Once and for all. And on my very worst day in Christ, God has made up his mind about me. He calls me the righteousness of God in Christ. And he calls me a son, and for you ladies, a daughter forever. Right? This, this is that term, justification. is finished. So if you have a rocky day tomorrow, God doesn't, like, suddenly change his mind about you. He, he really has put his name on you, put his spirit inside of you, and he contends for you jealously. He wants all of you, but he has made up his mind about that. But the battle is still being fought over day after day for our souls as we're being formed into his image. And this is called sanctification. So I belong to him, but am I giving the Holy Spirit more ground in my life? Or am I constantly yielding to this lesser thing, these soulish desires that are dragging me away from the Lord day after day after day? And you and I have a part to play in that. Yes. Justification, sanctification. So you can be saved, but you still need to know how to fight. Are you with me? Yes. And what we want as a church family is not a bunch of people who say, I got saved when I was four, but then have lived immature and defiled lives because they don't know how to fight. I want to learn how to fight when temptation comes. Anybody else? I want to know how to prevail and overcome. I don't want to stay walking in circles. That's miserable. That's why in one breath, Paul can say, you have been justified and you died when you put your faith in Christ. And in the very next breath, he says, put to death the stuff that belongs to your earthly nature. Both things are true. Are you with me? Now, look, this sounds high, but for many of you, you're like, why am I still struggling with the same things? And I said the prayer and I gave my heart to the Lord. That's why. This is why. And it's important for us to grasp that. And, and here's the thing. James says, make sure you're addressing the temptation that is rooted in your own soul and your own desires. But you can be confident that God is at work in you. And one of the great ways we know that God is at work is when he exposes those temptations that are in us. Growing up in the church, I remember feeling like if I was tempted, that that was sin. There's a difference, you know? Like some of you today, I, I still have that feeling sometimes. If I have uh, an intrusive thought or something that I just feel like, man, that's a terrible thought or a terrible temptation... It's not sin, but the fact that God illuminates it, exposes it, and puts a finger on it is part of the work of the Spirit in my life. He's saying, hey, you have a propensity towards something here. Watch out. There's a kitten, but it's growing. Watch out. And, and so can I encourage you, if you feel temptation, that is the kindness of the Lord to give you a conviction with it. That's the kindness of the Lord to expose it in your life and for you to be um, uh, uniquely aware of how that thing can kill you if you're not careful. Is this depressing? Are you guys okay? All right, you're so quiet. You're so quiet. Okay. Um, we can be confident that God is at work. And, and James says, look in the mirror and be honest. Which nature are you submitting to? Which nature? Because if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to take up your cross and follow him. 
right? Most terrifying passage in the scriptures. Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name and prophesy in your name and work miracles? And he will say, depart from me. I don't know you. I don't know you. The the idea here is that for every single one of us to really follow Jesus means that I have to bear my own cross. Right? I have to. And you have to as well. And any form of Christianity that teaches you that this is just about God intervening and delivering you, but doesn't teach you also to pick up your cross, is nothing to do with Jesus. Everybody good? Okay. Secondly, notice how he talks about the life cycle of sin. Verse 15, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, it gives birth to death. I've spent the last like three days watching a documentary on Hillsong. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's gutting. Interesting is the word, Ashley, gutting. I watched it and felt sick the whole time. Four episodes of me being sick. And here's the reason. Um, Because I'm watching pastors and leaders in the church who've been given fame and platform, who are pulled astray by all kinds of deceitful desires, and it stays hidden long enough to become a giant that destroys them and everybody else. And I'm gripped with holy fear in that because I do what they do. Oh God, I would rather never be in ministry than be in that position. Like the, the, the fear that has gripped me watching other people fall. It is such a great teacher, you know. Um, but watching this, seeing how slippery the slope is where people make small decisions that become bigger and bigger and bigger and consume us and defile many. Are you with me? Now, that's one thing in what I do. What about you? How slippery is the slope in the daily decisions that you and I are making? Uh, Friends, sin doesn't start off big and bold and loud. We can resist those things easily enough when they come in like that, right? Like if I opened my door and there was a tiger outside, I clearly would be like, not going out. But if there was a cute kitten or a puppy, door open. You're with me? Like, we can resist the big things very easily. If someone came in today and invited you to rob a bank or have a one-night stand with a stranger or assassinate a government official or go on a bender, I hope you wouldn't be enticed to do that. Why? Because those things are huge. It's big sin, right? Like, you, you see it. It's massive. But if they invited you to, you know, just fudge on your taxes a little bit to get more out of your return or... Keep playing the lottery night after night, hoping for the big one. Or maybe just watch that pornographic TV series. Nobody knows. I can just keep cultivating a lifestyle of doing things in secret that are creating behemoths that are consuming me. And no one knows until they do. Slandering your your leaders on Facebook and Instagram. No big deal, right? No, it's a big deal. Slander is murder. That's what the Bible says. Start drinking one too many beers just by yourself, slowly. And slowly. You're with me. It's so cunning and quiet and small, and we overlook it because it's not big. James says that, that is what sin is like. And that's what temptation is like. 
You see, sin starts quiet and subtle with a disordered desire, a desire that is disordered um, by the source that we're looking for satisfaction, that moves away from the fear of the Lord. I remember um, uh, John Bevere, he talks about in The Awe of God, he's doing all of these kind of press releases on his book, The Awe of God, and he said um, in his interview with a fallen ministry leader years before, um, Jim Baker, he says he's sitting at the jail cell of Jim Baker, and he says, when did you, when did you um, fall out of love with God? And Jim Baker looks at him, and he says, I never fell out of love with God. I love Jesus now. I just stopped fearing the Lord. It caused him to embezzle millions upon millions of dollars and to be arrested and to completely erupt a lot of the charismatic movement in the southeast with the Praise the Lord movement. Um, it's a disordered desire, a desire that gets turned and looks for satisfaction in other things. And when that desire keeps getting fed, over time it gives way to action. Whatever you desire long enough and focus on long enough will become an action. What, whatever you're ruminating on will become something you do something with. It doesn't just happen out of nowhere. Nobody just has an affair out of nowhere. That came from somewhere, right? It started somewhere. Nobody embezzles millions of dollars that started somewhere. And we have to be wildly concerned with the state of our heart. Because when I start feeding that desire, it turns into action. And that action repeated over time causes me to go numb and it turns into outright sin. And that sin, when it grows up, consumes me. It was just a cute cub, right? And now it's dragging you away. In uh, college, my mom's here, so I'm like uniquely aware of telling stories of myself. <laughs> and my beautiful niece is here, and my dad. If you haven't met them, you need to. Uh, my dad is a guy who looks exactly like Panama Jack or Saddam Hussein. Um, <laughs> but like the most handsome version of those things, dad. And I look like you, so I'm with you, man. Uh, in college, I went to a Bible college, and um, I, was figure, I was trying to figure out safe ways to be stupid and wild. And so one of the ways that we did that, um, and this is total confession and stupidity, all right? Please don't do this. Um, we would get all pent up. We were at a pretty strict Bible college. I had to wear pants in Lakeland, Florida in 110-degree weather every day and sweated through them, you know, all that. And uh, we started thinking that it was really funny to give each other permission for 60 seconds of cursing. 60 seconds, you say whatever you want. Go to your car and you just unleash 60 seconds. Sorry, Mom. Uh, and so if we got pent up, man, if, something, if, we, if it was hitting the fan, we'd get in there and just let loose. Just a string of profanities. As many as you could say for 60 seconds. Now that sounds real funny. The problem was, two or three months later, I was driving down the road one day, and somebody ripped in front of me, and I yelled a word that was not normally in my vocabulary. Why? Because the cub had become a grizzly. <laughs> I was cultivating something. It was growing up. That one or two beers you had late at night that suddenly is becoming six or seven when you're by yourself, and 10 or 12 when you're with a group of guys... It's out of control. The thing is growing up. And we wonder, like, how did this happen? Well, I know how it happened. 60 seconds of giving myself permission to foster some disordered desire. I need a release of my anger. Here's how I'm going to do it. Friends, the invitation is really plain. 
Don't go blind to the subtle, hidden, evil desires that are in your life. Don't. We all have desires that become, that become disordered. We are all called to put them to death in order to be formed into the image of Jesus. You have some desires in you right now for attention, for appreciation, for compensation, for love, for affection, that when disconnected from God as the primary source for satisfaction, become disordered and open up a space for the enemy to wreak havoc in your life. Be careful. The thing that um, really, really encourages me is that Jesus also went through this. He's in the wilderness, and the enemy actually tries to tempt him according to his desires. Now, here's the thing. Jesus doesn't have any disordered desires. Every single one, every single time, he turns to God the Father as the satisfaction for those things. Provision, independence, power. Jesus says, all these things you have promised me, but in your time and in your way, I won't force anything. And for every single one of us, if we're going to follow Jesus, it means that we have to be brutally aware of the desires that are in our own lives and whether or not they're being satisfied by the Lord. Because if they aren't, you will look to something or someone to satisfy them. And everything outside of the Lord seems to kill us. Eventually, right? Everything. So what does God give? If it's not temptation, then what? Verse 16, he says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who doesn't change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. He says, God isn't like you fear. He's not tempting you and trying to cause you to fall. Now, this was common in Greek and Roman cultures uh, in this day and age where the gods that they worshipped, Zeus and Athena and Hermes and all of these others, were deceptive and they delighted in causing calamity in people's lives. You can imagine that. The the kind of um, relationship people had with the little g gods of the land was always sketchy. Like, have you ever had that friend that you never knew how they were going to show up, if they were going to be hot and angry at you one day or fine the next, like it's always up and down? That was their relationship with the gods of the land. And so they felt like they were fickle and they changed their minds, and so people mistrusted them. They didn't understand their intentions. And James says, whatever your previous experience with those little G gods was, Yahweh, the one true God, is completely different. That God doesn't delight in your temptation He's not shifty. God is consistent and steady and faithful. Like one of the primary attributes of who God is and how he is, is that he is faithful. He is constant and consistent and he always comes through. And he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Friends, we have to hear that. Like I don't know if you're like me. I can tell you all the things that are going wrong. But have you ever tried to sit down and say all the things that are going right? Your blood is flowing through your body and giving life to your heart and your organs right now. You are a miracle. You're a miracle. There are cells that somehow have come together to form this chair. I'm sitting on a clump of cells that hold me up. Miracle. (laughs) Gravity is a miracle. 
Can you imagine if every time you took a step, you floated into outer space and died? (laughs) Miracle. Some of you have kids. God actually made your body make other humans. That's a miracle. All the functions and the things that are at work in us every single moment of every single day, I can walk past them and go, yeah, but you left something on the counter. <laughs> you know, <laughs> We miss the fact that everything that's happening is a miracle. Every good and perfect gift comes from His hand. There's not a single good thing in creation, in the universe, in the history of mankind that hasn't come directly out of His hand. And have you spent a moment just saying, God, man, thank you. I don't deserve breath. I don't deserve blood. I don't deserve a brain that works. Uh, Sometimes it works. I don't deserve any of these things, and yet you have given all of them to me. One of the gifts, one of the beautiful things about traveling and going international is you begin to see and gain a perspective around gratitude and what it is that God has given to us. Maybe today the big takeaway is take a moment and just say thank you. I deserve nothing. I've been given everything. God, you are worthy of it all right? And he says that the greatest gift of all in verse 18 is salvation. Salvation, which is to say that he has given us this new birth through the word of truth. Now, now we know because we follow the Lord that Jesus is the word of God and he declares that he is the way and the truth and the life. He says the greatest gift, the gift that comes down that is the very best gift of all is the gift of Jesus and salvation. That every single one of us, in our most desperate moments, when the world is being crushed, God sends His Son into the world to redeem us. He has given us this word of truth. This is what salvation is like. It's truth giving birth to the new creation in you. It's truth, the truth of God's word. Just like an egg fertilized by a sperm cell becomes a human When the word of truth takes root in you and you put your faith in Christ, you are reborn and you're a brand new creation. Miracle. A gift from God's hand. If nothing else ever happens to me that is good, I am a living, walking miracle. And you too are a miracle. Jesus calls this being born of the Spirit. Just like Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, when you put your faith in Christ, you are conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, we all know what happens when a, a woman gives birth to a son or a daughter, right? We're nurtured by those that gave us life. We're named by them and taught by them, and they teach us what's important and how to go about things. And in the same way, when we are born of the Spirit, we are supernatural. We take on a new nature. We're walking in the nature of God. The Spirit of God is providing for me and naming me and teaching me again what it means to live in connection with Him. And what in the world must that look like? You know, this morning you may come in and you may have struggles and temptations. God wants to remind you that He started this thing off with you with a gift. You are not alone, you are not abandoned. Be vigilant about the desires going on in your heart, but recognize that. Everything that God has given to you is good and perfect. And he's not like the little G gods of this world who give and then snatch away. He is the God who delivers and loves you and he redeems you. And he wants a relationship with you. You know, it's not enough to come in on a Sunday morning and just hear about this God. God actually wants to make you his own. 
And this morning, perhaps like you know a little bit of this or you've felt the sting of temptation or sin, but you don't recognize the God who gives this good and perfect gift. God's calling you to come and to know him. And so next week, we're going to talk about what this looks like. Because James continues by saying, this is where temptation comes from. This is how God is, and this is what he's like. And if you're going to be like him, you'll look like it too. And so we want to spend some time there. But as we close today, I just want to ask you a couple questions. Why don't you just close your eyes, uh, just create a space for reflection with the Lord. Are there any desires in your life that have become disordered? Let's take a moment right now. Holy Spirit, would you search our hearts? Search our hearts, Lord. I want to invite you just to ask him to evaluate your life right now. Not a single one of us is promised tomorrow. So it's important that we judge ourselves unless we face judgment. That's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. We need to take into account the things that are in our hearts. Is there any place where you are looking to other things to satisfy your desires instead of taking them first to the Lord? We hit this a lot, um, but because it's so prevalent, you know, for many of us, whenever we get stressed out or anxious or tired, the first thing that we do is we run to Netflix or Hulu or Disney Plus um, or just entertainment in general. We just numb. Can I just highlight that? That's a disordered desire. It's not that TV's bad or Netflix. All of, it's not that all of that's bad. It said it can become disordered really quickly. Some of you have an unhealthy relationship with food. Right? You're looking for soul satisfaction and you turn to just body satisfaction. Just eat as much as I want or I stop eating. Listen to me. That is, it's not that that makes you evil. It said it's a desire that is disordered. And the Lord says, I want to come and satisfy that. And so, Father, we just ask you right now, by your spirit, Lord, that we wouldn't go to sleep on the temptations that are waging war against our own souls. Father, that we wouldn't give way to desires that become sin and sin that becomes um, a predator that kills us. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the things that we need to see. Father, I thank you. There are people who have just started following the Lord in here. And the Lord wants to give you a lifelong history of knowing him and walking from glory to glory, growing in him. But it's going to mean facing your temptations and desires. And can I just say that happens best in submission to the word and the spirit in community. For some of you, you're just living in isolation. And the Lord says, come closer. Begin to submit your life to other people's um, authority, uh, to other people's gifting. Listen to the people that you can trust around you. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you do that? And secondly, for some of you this morning, when we're talking about the Lord, you don't know Him like that. Like even when we worship Him, it feels foreign. Um, but you don't know God not being shifty and changing. You think He is. 
But God this morning is offering you salvation, the forgiveness of your sins. He's inviting you to come to learn what it means to be a child of God, to be washed and forgiven and redeemed and made a new creation. So do you have confidence that your life is in him? Do you have confidence? Can people look at your life and say that person belongs to Jesus? And I just want to give you an opportunity. Uh, there's no power in you raising your hand except to recognize um, that you want to take a step. And so with every eye closed, if that's you and you're just like, you know what? I feel like I want to surrender my life to Christ. I don't know him like that, but I want to. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Just signify, God, I, I want relationship with you. I want to know you like this. Jesus. Father, we stand before this, your word, and we thank you that it is living and active, that it is sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates to divide our soul and spirit, our joint and our marrow. Father, this morning, Lord, we bring ourselves under the authority of your word. We confess that we have been quick to blame others for places where we have been tempted or sinned. And Father, I pray that you'd forgive us. Lord, would you teach us to deal with the temptation and desires in our own life and for us to constantly move toward the freedom that you have made available in your son. We love you. We love you. Would you stand to your feet? We want to close. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Uh, we're going to pray. If you lifted your hand a moment ago, we'll just say a prayer at the end of the gathering together, okay? Um, but can I just bless you as we leave today? How many of you want to live a life that continues to move toward the Lord and not away? That doesn't want to walk in circles but walks in victory? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Okay. Then let us be brutal with the temptations and desires that are waging war against our souls. Amen? That's where we turn our violence is against them. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance to you and give you peace. I pray that he opens the eyes of your heart to know how desperately he loves you. That he has made you in his image. That in love he predestined you to be adopted as his own. That he never leaves you or forsakes you. But he surrounds you and he clothes you and he protects you. He delivers you. And he speaks freedom over you today. We pray for the friendship of the Holy Spirit who comes to help you to see the things that you cannot. And will surround you with the kind of friends and community who help you to see the blind spots that are consuming you. Holy Spirit, would you just lead us into freedom today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Take some time and say hello. Make sure you connect with host homes. Um, and if you raise your hand for prayer, we would love to spend some time praying over you. We'll see you later. Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org.